podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, hello and welcome. It is Monday evening. That, of course, means it's time for the Anglo-Italian Pod Monday live stream European review show, something like that. As always, my name is Rory. I'm joined by my very good friends. Can you hear me? Adam and, and our, our guest. special guest, Alfredo. Here we go. He's back on the show. Friends of the show, Alfredo. How are you doing, man? You good? Yeah, I'm great. Great. Fresh off a lovely Juventus win for the weekend. Playing some lovely, expansive football under Allegri. You know, life is life is good. Chiesa scored. Couldn't be happier. It's looking a bit better. It's looking a bit better <laughs> this year, I think, in general. Are you feeling a bit more better? Are you feeling a bit better about it? I wasn't that I was. Um, I, you know, I, I was a bit stunned at the weekend, actually. Um, you know, the Empoli game was, you know, so-so. You know, Empoli have, you know, regressed quite significantly this season. And we kind of just, you know, that was a fairly easy game without needing to play that well. But I thought we were absolutely brilliant against Lazio at the weekend. Um, going 2-1 up, then going 3-1 up and still managing to actually hold the ball. An Allegri team being two goals up and retaining the ball. I was like, what am I watching? What am I watching? Um, but yeah, no, <laughs> feeling feeling a lot better about it, yeah. I like it. I like it. Even if it's Juventus, I do like it, I suppose. Um, Adam, <laughs> how are you doing, man? I'm keeping very well, thank you. Um, struggling with my internet connection right now. So I do apologise if I look, kind of look dazed. I'm just trying to grapple with it at the moment. But yeah, keeping well. How about you, Rui? Yeah, all good. Um, a relatively stress-free weekend. Arsenal tried to make it stressful, but we got there in the end. Um, the Alex with another late winner, second half, or late equaliser, second half FC turning up, which is nice. Uh, so, yeah, relatively stress-free. Lots of football watched, so can't really complain. Managed to get two lazy days on the sofa, convinced the missus that she didn't want to go out the house and we could watch football. So, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> all in all, pretty good. Um, so, we best start with the football. There's lots to talk about this week. We're going to be talking about Juve, Alfredo, don't worry. We're going to talk about the Milan derby, a humiliation mm. for the Rossoneri. We're going to be talking about um, Roma um, being made look good by Empoli, a little bit of Napoli chat, and maybe some Flosinone if we have time. Then, of course, we'll be heading to the Premier League where we'll be talking about Brighton and um, the mess at Old Trafford. We'll do a little bit of chat about Everton and we will begrudgingly give Spurs their flowers as they're starting to look pretty scary. Um, and I'm worried about next weekend. Um, but I think we should start with Serie A and we'll start with the Milan derby. Um, Inter 5, Milan 1, um, an absolutely comprehensive hammering. Um, I'm going to go to you, Alfredo, first. Were you surprised by the result? Were you surprised by the performances? I I wasn't surprised by the the outcome. You know, I thought Inter would win comfortably, mm -hmm. as they have done in the last four games. Um, but how comprehensive it was... And the way that Milan almost just kind of crumbled and looked so soft at the back uh, did surprise me. I thought they'd put up a, a bit of a better fight and that the disparity would be nowhere near as big as it was. Yeah, and uh, Adam, what do you think the main issues were for Milan? Before we start praising Inter, what do you think the main issues were? Because they looked levels mm. below Inter. 
yeah, they didn't seem, I don't know what's the right word, but up for it, if mm. that makes sense, because they didn't seem like they had necessarily thought of what their game plan was going to be for this particular match. I, I felt like at times, like it was just so easy for Inter to push forward and, you know, Inter were kind of playing that kind of counteract, uh, counter-attacking even style of football, but you know, they could have just gone for it. And, you know, Milan didn't seem to have an answer. And especially when you thought about the attacking play, apart from Rafael Leal's goal, I didn't see much of a threat either. So, like Pioli kind of said, they played for about four minutes and that was it. That's the only football we actually saw of Milan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and what a four minutes it was. I feel like you, <laughs> you've, you've mentioned the one guy, like Leal, and I feel like Milan mm. rely on Leal. And it didn't feel yeah. like Inter really relied on anyone. It's just everyone, they know that everyone's going to turn up and do a job or everyone knows what their mm. job is. And I think... What really stood out to me the most, and I'll get your thoughts on this, Alfredo, as well, is how quickly Lautaro and Turam seem to have formed a partnership. I think Turam has got a very similar profile to Lukaku. I think he's strong, he's quick, he can beat a man, he's a good finisher. He's got a good profile as a... He's got the same profile as an informed Lukaku. I'll finish that sentence, mm. not Lukaku in general. Um, but do you think like Inter have done a really good job in replacing him, and that's why Lautaro's find it so easy to just kind of link up with him i mean it, it seemed to be very very seamless hasn't it like and almost it almost seems better it seems a bit more exciting i think turam's almost a bit more he gets around the pitch a bit more than lukaku does i feel like he, he covers mm -hmm. a bit more ground from left to right um and he was just i thought turam was just outstanding i wasn't sure i watched him i watched him a few times in pre-season and I was a bit, mm, I don't know, his, his touch was off. He looked a bit, he just didn't look very comfortable on the ball. But my God, the other, he, I don't know what he had for breakfast, but he he was outstanding. <laughs> he was, I mean, he manhandled, manhandled Chow and bless Kier. I mean, Kier had to come in and step in. And I, I really like him. He's been so lovely and he had his ACL injury, but he was so off the pace. I mean, I, I really mm -hmm. felt bad. Having Lautaro, one of the most, one of the best strikers in Europe, and then Turam, so quick and powerful and exciting. I mean, he he, he did struggle, didn't he? Yeah, it is kind of the definition of being like baptism of fire or being thrown to the lions, isn't it? Really, you know, what I mean, not played for a while. Here's a Milan derby, like. But I think if we look at another kind of point for me as I was watching the the, the game, this is now five losses in a row for Pioli in the Milan derby. Adam, why is Pioli not learning lessons? It feels like he appro he's approached every derby in the exact same way and had the exact same outcome. How long mm -hmm. can he do this? It feels like it's a refusal to learn lessons. Inter don't have to change their plan. They just do what they do. And this is the funny thing is Inter have changed the personnel in all of those five matches. Mm -hmm. So it's like Pioli is failing to listen, I suppose, and learn. Um, and I suppose that's the, the frustration of Milan fans right now because, yeah, it always seems to be on this particular occasion, he always gets unstuck, doesn't he? He gets stuck with the approach. He doesn't know what the right blend of players. And I appreciate, I think, prior to this derby, the last one, there was a bit of an injury crisis going on as well because I remember Krunic was in there. Benacer couldn't turn up for this particular match. But again, the... I'm not convinced necessarily all the signings they bought in are the replacements of Tonali, etc. But um, it needs a lot of work in that whole team. And I think there's certain players like Giroud that didn't turn up on this particular match as well. Um, so I, I, 
I, I don't know what it is, but I think Pioli needs to un- identify what the right kind of formation that he can kind of use against Inter. Um, but ultimately, it goes down to the players as well. A players' responsibility is to be up for these kind of matches just for the supporters' sake. And I think you saw the reaction afterwards where they were all disgusted at how much effort a lot of the players... I mean, in particular, how lethargic the likes of Manyan was uh, towards the end when he was kind of getting that Fratesi goal. He didn't even die for it, did he, really? I mean, he didn't even <laughs> try to block it. So I think there's a combination of it aspects there but ultimately purely needs to think or figure out what is the best formation for his players because he seems to be stuck in this kind of there's one particular formation and that's it and i don't see him kind of change it i think we saw it a lot during last season rory to be fair where he was going through that sticky patch and we thought it might be the nail on the coffin right now but I don't know. I really don't know what the answer is. I kind of rate purely, but at the same time, he just doesn't seem to appear for these big matches, does he? No, he keeps clinging on for dear life. And my Milan supporting friends in our Fanta Calcio group chat were definitely saying it's time for him to go in a less polite way. This is only <laughs> this is Milan's first loss of the season, right? But Alfredo, mm. do you think this does pile pressure on purely? Because it does feel like he's had his nine lives. Well, I think it was close last season. I think that there was a point last season where it was very close. And I remember he did, he did just before the Tottenham game, just before they faced Tottenham, he changed and he changed the three at the back. And um, I thought, I thought that maybe he'd try that against Inter and try and maybe just anything. Because I do think that, I mean, aside from it being a derby, I do think there is a bit of a golfing quality between the two teams anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but to lose five derbies in a row and. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's it's a bit unjustifiable, isn't it? Really, mm. how 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 as a Milan fan, which I'm not, how how far can you back a manager that loses those the most important game in your calendar five times in a row? Mm. I don't know. And then I, I'm yeah. not sure how much the other manager would get out of that squad. I I, I don't know. No, I don't, I think you're right. I think sympathy's definitely run out. <laughs> like the Milan fans' sympathy's definitely yeah. run out. But I think at the same time, as you said, there is. A quite wide gap in in terms of quality. Adam, do you think this kind of cements Inter as title favourites? People have been talking about it for a while, but do you think this kind of performance shows that they're the ones to watch this year? We know it's not Napoli, so are Inter <laughs> the ones to watch? I, I definitely have high hopes for them. I think that's the one title that Simeone Inzaghi needs, right? He's always been kind of labelled as a cup manager and this would be the icing on the cake i think um but yeah never say never with inter they always have a little bit of a wobbly in them and that's mm. the that's the problem i find it's not maybe necessarily now we've, we've also talked historically that tara will go for a dry patch so that's it'll true. be question marks then will other players step up to the par or you know will tool ram continue his form that'd be nice for fans but I still feel like at the moment they've got the squads. Fratesi, I think he's being used sparingly right now. And, you know, off that form with the Azuri, I mean, I, I can't believe he's not in the squad somehow. He's not in the inter squad right now. So there's signs there, right? I think they've evolved from last season. They got rid of a lot of Deadwood, it's fair to say. I don't mm-hmm. think necessarily the players that move on were bad, but, you know, Lukaku, we could argue, probably was. Um, but otherwise, no, I think it's it's looking promising, should we say, Rory? I just think let's judge it come sort of maybe January, February time. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I think they look very strong for the beginning of this season anyway. I think that's the most impressive performance I've seen this season so far in Serie A. Mm. It's the most dominating performance, taking away Roma and Empoli because that doesn't count, but the most dominating (laughs) performance that we've seen so far. And I think, as you said, I think there has been an improvement in quality across that Inter squad. Fratesi is such an exciting player. Like We knew from Sassuolo that he was going to be good, but I didn't expect him to have such an immediate impact and for him to step Mm. up so quickly. Um, I think a midfield of him and Barella is like crazy exciting, like really exciting with another like that is not many teams will be able to deal with that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good times for Inter fans. Um, it's been quite a heavy weekend for me as I did go and watch the Milan derby in a bar. I was meant to be doing dry September and it all went out the window uh, the second the Milan derby and the Fanta Calcio draft happened. But all my Inter fans, including Tommy, are quite optimistic about this season. Um but we're going to leave the Milan derby there for now. And we are going to go to Juventus. Um, a 3-1 win mm. over Lazio. Lazio, who love a big game. Their records against the big teams are actually pretty decent in the last couple of, um, well, last season or so, I would say. Um, Alfredo, talk us through the game. What were the major points? Why are Juventus suddenly scoring goals? Well, I think primarily, I mean, not to state the obvious, but having, needless to say, having a fully fit Chiesa and Blaovic is, you know... It is integral to Juve going anywhere, doing anything. If those two are fit, Juventus will score goals. If they're, if they're both at peak fitness, they'll go score goals because the. I mean, just just look at the goals. The first yeah. goal, Vlaovic had no, had no right to score that. You know, um, Chiesa's goal was just just a, a, an early shot. Was, uh, in fact, Chiesa's goal reminded me of a goal that his dad would have scored. Just hit it early. Just nice. Uh, didn't even think about it. Just hit it, and and then. Vlavic's second goal. I mean, that is that was just a piece of art. Not yeah. sure McKenny knew what he was doing. I mean, no, <laughs> I'm not sure he ever knows what he's doing. <laughs> that pass out, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but to bring it down in that way, mm-hmm. touch it around and finish like that. I mean, but overall, just the way we held the ball, um, we were expansive, we were aggressive in the press in the mm-hmm. first half. Um, and we just, even when, like I said before, I touched on when we were ahead, we held the ball. We retained possession. We kept pressure on. Not like the Juventus of old. Well, I won't say of old just yet. You know, I can't, I'm not getting too carried away. This is LA. But um, we kept the pressure on. And to be honest, I, I felt like it was it was a fairly comfortable victory against a good Lazio side. And I, Do you think Juve are starting to work their way back now? Like last season was obviously you weren't helped with points, deductions, etc. And without that, you would have finished second. So arguably you were back last season. But do you feel like this season is a real chance for Juve to to go for it? I think, I mean, I I don't think we have the depth to compete with an Inter. I think, Mm -hmm. I think, I think Inter are a better side. And I also think they have a better depth, but I, I at this stage I see no reason why I wouldn't even as a Juve fan, even, even as a negative, maybe um, glass half empty Juve fan, I would probably maybe put our second favourite at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, we, with only one game a week, Allegri can prepare for that game. He is a pragmatist at heart, you know. He does manage one-off games very well, and if Locatelli's fit and playing well, which he is, whether you put that down to Spalletti or Allegri is another debate. Um, Rabiot looks <laughs> good. Um, I still worry at the back a bit. Bremo is with his feet, you know, he's very iffy. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's early, but I'm happier than I was at this stage last season. 
is what I will say. Well, that's an improvement. You got to take that, eh? You got to take <laughs> yeah. that. Um, I, I think the Bremer one's interesting because obviously he was really, he was like chased by both you and Inter, right? And it was kind of right down to the wire of who he was going to go. But he hasn't really stood out since he moved since he moved across. Do you think that is just a difference in role? Is it more responsibility? Why do you think he hasn't quite made that that step up? That he would undertake. Whereas now it is playing for Juventus. He's he has more of the ball. He sees more of the ball which I'm not sure is a facet of his game that he's that he particularly excels at. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I might get stick for saying, but I think Danilo as a player, as a defender, is a better overall defender than Bremer. I think he has more to his game. And playing the three-back, I think he's a lot more comfortable in that role. But as a one-on-one defender, Bremer's fantastic. You know, you, mm-hmm. you never really see him get beaten mm-hmm. in a 1v1. But just in other areas, I think he just... <laughs> He just doesn't fill you with a confidence, but maybe that's coming down from Chiellini, Barzali, and Bonucci, and then you know been spoiled. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. Just isn't. I just don't think he maybe is the full finished article just yet. Okay, no. So I think that's a good point with going from Chiesa and Bonucci. Like that's <laughs> they're big boots to fill, right? They're very big boots to fill. Chiellini yeah. even and Bonucci, they're big boots. Mm. Um, but Adam for Lazio, this is a bit of a knock after it kind of. Relatively good start to the season, obviously beating uh, Napoli as well. What kind of went wrong for them here? Do you think this is a is this just a stumbling block, or are we going to see them fall off a bit? I think the international break didn't help them because that certainly broke that kind of rhythm they were having. I think up until that point, I mean, it was always when you look at it from the outside, the fixture list didn't look too pretty for them at the beginning of the season, mm. and. Sorry, he made a point of it. He kind of conspired and said they were all against him, right? Um, but it didn't help that he had a really bad start. I mean, obviously, they threw away that uh, game against Lecce, followed it up with the Genoa result as well. And then, obviously, he needed to pick up some wins. I think Lazio are going to be up and down this season, despite your predictions, Rory. Of being, no, it's, like, it's Scudetto in the mud, honestly. <laughs> it's definitely mud. not going to happen, yeah. I'm afraid. Um but I, I I suspect that's what it is. They're going to get adjusted to European football as well, but on a grander scale, shall we say, with the Champions League. It's just going to be a question whether Sarri takes it seriously. I hope he does, just because I do yeah. fancy them being an outside team, outside of the big giants. And maybe, I mean, looking at a group, I still tip them to get out of the group, right? So yeah. I think they stand a really good chance. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's still... Obviously, maybe new signings getting used to it, but then I think it's largely a settled squad. Um, Kamada's settled quite well, for example, and generally, I, I don't feel there's too many disruptions. They just haven't really found the consistency, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the old age of does Chiro Mobile really fit into the Lazio squad going forward now? And I know there's a separate debate about Azuri and the Italian national squads, um, but you look at his record, it's phenomenal. He's probably just strike in the wrong error is what I heard earlier on a podcast, which kind of makes sense, right? He's just a striker that would be admired probably about 10 years ago, but now he's just maybe not the right fit for Sari. I don't know if that's the right answer there, Rory, but yeah, I I mean, Lazio, I still think is going to become good, should we say, in time anyway. 
Yeah, I feel like it's just time, isn't it? He's getting on and he's just becoming less effective. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's probably part of it. Like, um, I don't know if it's that if it's that deep, really. It's just a guy who used to be pretty good, who isn't that good anymore. And maybe, yeah, football has moved on a little bit, I suppose. And um, we're going to leave Juve and Lazio there. And we're going to talk about the current Scudetto holders, although they definitely don't look much like it as Rudy Garcia <laughs> has a pretty horrific start to the season for Napoli. Um, well, two wins, a loss and a draw now. Um, but it's more about, there's just nothing left of that Scudetto winning side when you see them playing. There's no spirit of it. There's no image. It's all just been erased and it's all very, very half-hearted and very kind of, yeah, lackluster. Every time I've watched them, I've been incredibly demotivated. I think Osimhen, we had our Fantacalcio draft and everybody spent loads of money on him. And I thought, I'm leaving it this year because I don't think he's going to hit the numbers he, he did last year. Um, Osimhen looks less interested. The midfield seems much easier to run through. The defense is much easier to run through. We're now realizing just how good Kim Min Jae was, um, I think, and how key he was to that team. But Adam, I'm going to start with you. How long has Rudy Garcia got? Because I think he's gone by Christmas. <laughs> I think he'll be lucky if he lasts till Christmas. I'll be brutally honest. Um, like you say, there's lack of intensity. There is a lack of idea. I mean, up until Raspadori hits that wonder goal to kind of start kind of that mini revival, I was struggling to think when they're going to get this goal. I didn't even see with Zelinski on the pitch that kind of spark that they had probably last season, even when they had certain players injured, for example, mm -hmm. there's a kind of like that character about them. They would still kind of try and do something. And it kind of was really summed up when Anguissa came off and he kind of gave that demeanor. He was so pissed off that he was bought off that it kind of sums up the mood within the camp. He saw Farah even like doing the, Hey, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it was like, <laughs> I've never seen him like he doesn't come across and do that, but he was literally giving the gestures, wasn't he? Um, but like you say, Juan Jesus is not the answer at centre back. I'm sorry, and he he let his marker uh, Barney go for that first goal. I know Zelinski plays him on, but Barney just goes in very mm -hmm. easily and gets the ball past Merritt. So yeah, there's so many question marks. Um, they've got quality players, but I don't think Garcia is the answer. And he's not, I don't know what De Laurentiis saw in Garcia. He didn't have a great record coming into this. Obviously, he was in Saudi and he got sacked from that role. So <laughs> imagine I mean, what you have to do to get sacked over there. <laughs> <laughs> it is baffling. Uh, I think, um, like, so Alfredo, at the time, we kind of said it was a bit of a weird. Um, appointment and that maybe De Laurentiis was just looking for a yes man like someone who was just going to agree with what he said. What have your impressions been with Rudy Garcia's start and do you think, like, were you surprised by Rudy Garcia being brought in? Um, I'll flip that and say, was I surprised by the start that Rudy Garcia has? And I'll say no. Because, <laughs> uh, since he's been at right, I've always thought he was a bit of a clown of a manager. I've, I've never... And I thought it was a disaster waiting to happen as soon as they mm -hmm. brought him in. Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think, in first, you look at the back line. I mean, the back line, Di Lorenzo aside, Ostergaard, Juan Jesus, and Mario Rui getting on, it's, mm. it's not great. It's not great. Um, and then you've just got elsewhere on the pitch, you've just got players who 
seem bereft of any kind of inspiration or, you know, wanting to play for this manager. They, they just mm. look, they reminded me a bit of when Italy went to, um, when Italy played against Northern Ireland and they just kind of held the ball meaninglessly without any kind of real, like, <laughs> knowing what they were doing. Um, they just look, they just look bad. With, mm. For lack of a better word, you, Raspadori comes on and scores a screamer that he, he probably they didn't necessarily deserve, and then Politano scores a wonder goal. You know, mm. I, I don't necessarily think they deserved the draw. To be honest, mm. um, I don't think they played well enough to deserve a draw, mm. um, and they're just not playing like champions. But maybe, maybe this was maybe this was you could foresee this last season. They did plateau and fade off at the end of last season. Maybe because the league was already in the bag. But I don't know. I, I really don't know what it is. I'm not sure if it's just on the manager, maybe the players. I, I, I really don't know. But we do have to say, for Genoa, they're proving like a difficult team to go up against. They are playing very well. Now, obviously, they've got the new owners have come in. They've revitalized the club. They've got Italy's striker in Rategui. They've made some very good business this summer. Um, Adam, were you impressed by Genoa? Have you been impressed with them in general? I think they they look like they should fairly comfortably stay up. Yeah, massively surprised by them. I think, yeah, we probably underestimated them as well because um, obviously they had a great campaign in Serie B under Jaladino and I was sceptical that they hadn't necessarily improved on the quality up until this was, has to be said, Retegri did come and join them, but... Um, they look solid. Uh, they're going to be hard to beat. Um, and, you know, it seems like when I was watching them, they've got a structure. They know each player knows what role they have to play in. And uh, what sometimes I forget is they've got some quality in terms of experienced players that have been there and done it. All right. Um, Strutman being the classic. <laughs> I don't know how this Love guy Strutman comes back and fit. still yeah, yeah, yeah. Very comes into Very, very <laughs> Good Munson as well. I mean, yeah, I'm genuinely feeling Genoa are going to be pushing up to the upper echelons of the league. I think there's a chance they'll be in the top 10. I'm not saying they're going to be anywhere further than that. But I think given how teams are playing right now and the way Giladino is setting themselves out, I think they were, like Alfredo says, very unlucky not to go away with more than just a point. Um like we say, it's two wonder goals here. Politano mm-hmm. and Raspadoria. Politano's first time on a half body was incredible. But um, yeah, I, I just think if that's the kind of side they're going to face and they were narrowly losing a point here, then, you know, against weaker sides like your Empolis, like your Sassuolos, I think they're going to get their fair share of points. So yeah, high hopes, Rory. What about you? What, what's your impressions of Genoa? Yeah, I think they've just prepared themselves really well and they've done smart business in the window. And I think when they came up, they weren't the the, the promoted team that I was worried about. Um, I was worried about Frosinone and I'm not so worried about them anymore. But I thought like yeah. Genoa really did smart business. And we said when they got relegated that they need a hard reset. They just need that relegation yeah. start again and then build sensibly. And that looks like what they've done. And like, yeah, they've beaten um Lazio obviously they lost one nil to Torino in a game that was really close like obviously as Alfredo said they were really unlucky in this game it was just two wonder goals that meant they didn't get the result so they're showing that they are able to compete at this level and I think it's great to see maybe they will do a Monza and just be just incredibly good in their first season um 
But we're going to move on to the last game in Serie A that we're going to talk about for today, I think, so I'm looking at the time. Roma fans are going to be screaming. They're going to say, what do you need to do for, to get a mention <laughs> on this show? Um, so, Roma 7, Empoli nil. But I'm sorry, Roma fans, we're not really going to talk about Roma. We're going to talk about Empoli. Um, last week, Adam, I kind of lightly disagree with you on, on terms of Empoli. I think I need to submit and say, I think you're right, Empoli are bang in trouble. Just how bad were they yesterday? I turned it on, they were already 1-0 down. Um, yeah, what was it taking 36 seconds yeah, before yeah. he went tits up, didn't it? Um, Balkovich, I don't know what he was doing. That's why he's not going to be in a shout of the Polish national squad. Um, <laughs> not yet. Miknovic isn't back yet. <laughs> there is that. Um, but on a serious point, um, I still go to that aspects of and i said this in the whatsapp after the match with you like they need a transfer window now and they, they're gonna have to wait until basically january so they've got to somehow work out how they're gonna win a game like it doesn't help when Valdanzi, the your most offensive player is on the bench and i was mm-hmm. looking through the squad trying to think why is Marin not even on the pitch as well so clearly it feels like zanetti's fallen out potentially or he's trying something but it was evident when he when the final whistle was blown he literally just walked down out into the tunnel with Jose Mourinho it kind of sums to me that he he knows the writings on the wall um but we were saying who's the likely candidate to come in now right um Fabio Grosso would be a great shout but I think he's probably going to Leon mm. um otherwise I, I'm I'm struggling I don't know Alfredo if he can think of anyone off the top of his head but it feels like a Walter Mazzari kind of job, doesn't it? Just to keep <laughs> them up. That, that's terrible. It, it's terrible, <laughs> really. <laughs> we can hope. We can hope. But yeah, Alfredo, how doomed are they? Obviously, in the summer, they, they lost a lot of good players. So Parisi went to Fiorentina. Um, of course, Vicario went to Spurs. They weren't really able to replace them. Do you think this is the main issue, that they've just lost such key players and not been able to keep up? I mean, I think Parisi, uh, especially in terms of, I mean, he was one, he was Empoli's biggest chance creator. You know, he was, he, he was the main driver down that left-hand side. Yeah, he had third most dribbles in the league, only behind Farage Gellia and Rafael Liao. He was outstanding. Um, he was so important for them. I mean, they've still got talent up front. Uh, there's Cambiaghi, he's young. Destro, mm. can he move anymore? I'm not sure if he can walk. Um uh, but even the decision to start Cancellieri over Baldanzi was one that just completely befuddled me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've seen enough of Cancellieri over the last two or three years where I'm personally not convinced of him as a top-level player. But Baldanzi, every time I've watched him, inspires me so, so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not start him, I think, is probably quite emblematic of where Empoli are. Um, nowhere, you know? Yeah. yeah they are yeah. nowhere. They sit bottom of the table on zero points with a terribly weak squad. And I, I, I think I predicted them to finish 15th or 16th just to beat the drop. Um, but I think I might be changing that quite a It is quite, not yeah. looking good. They have <laughs> over double the negative goal difference as Salernitana, who are above them on two points. So Salernitana are on minus five, Empley are on minus 12. Um, obviously, four losses in a row, as we said. Um, zero goals scored, 12 yep. goals conceded. Um, Jesus 
Christ, <laughs> that is about as bad as yeah, even Luton are like, bloody hell, have you seen that lot? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> uh, but we do need to give Roma their flowers, otherwise Mourinho will be very angry. He wanted to give lots of credit to his team for this performance. He wanted to make a point about, you know, we are back. Now, you don't often get absolute slap-ins like this in Serie A. There tends to be like a rule of kind of like honour, like once you hit four or five yeah. goals, you stop. Um, but Mourinho, as is often his way, ignored that. Um, Alfredo, were you impressed in it in any way by Roma? It is still impressive to notch up seven, right? Yeah, it was a strange game. I think Mourinho, in fact, said it after the game. I agreed with him completely. He said we didn't deserve to win 7 0. Um, <laughs> like they, they weren't necessarily seven goals better, um, mm. than Empoli. You know, they gave them three or four goals just, you know, <laughs> on a plate. Um, but nonetheless, they looked better than they have done. And, you know, the, you know, the general unspoken rule in Serie A of not beating a team more than three or four goals. You know, when you draw your first game and lose your second, and you're on one point as Roma after three games, you know, you probably have a bit of a right to go and score seven. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, Dybala looked outstanding. Um, Lukaku looked fairly sharp. Um, I like Sanchez as well, actually. I thought Sanchez was quite impressive last night. <laughs> And even Mr. Bryan in midfield played quite well. I, I will give him his flowers begrudgingly. <laughs> I, I know he's not your favourite. I've seen you on Twitter. I know he's not your favourite. But um, I think you're right about Renato Sanchez. I was really excited about him coming into Roma and being under Mourinho. He's a player that's like so exciting at times. He just mm. needs to stay focused and fit. But I think in that midfield, if you look at like Cristante Paredes and Sanchez in the middle... That's a pretty tough tackling, combative midfield that most teams are going to are going to struggle to get past. And you've got the explosive pace and power of Sanchez there as well. It's a goal that he took really well. Um, but Adam, the partnership of Dybala and Lukaku, could this be a thing if Dybala can stay fit? Do you think this could be a a, a threatening front line? I mean, definitely on their day, there can be anything, right? Um, it is just down to that fitness aspects and that's not just Dybala I think it is Lukaku as well I think Lukaku's got a lot to prove this season um you know he's pissed off a number of clubs so this is his last chance saloon essentially to uh make a mark um he's just grateful that he's got a ex-boss in you know that trusts in him um and we did even joke if he can't score against his Empoli side then what hope is there for Lukaku but he managed to get 10 minutes before time didn't he um so yeah I, I think if you looked at this about a two or three seasons ago, you wouldn't have even questioned this. This would be yeah. like kind of considered as mm-hmm. one of the top striking options that you could have. Um, but it's just the way both careers have gone about. And uh, I suppose Dybala, I think he's actually benefited from leaving Juventus, which is strange to say. But I mean, yeah, it's just getting his fitness so he's consistent and he can play a lot more games than he has done. Um, and for Lukaku, he just needs to prove his worth now. Um, yeah, I suspect it's quite a huge wage that he's on in comparison to Belotti. So, you know, the standards are there. Belotti's there. Lukaku should do better. Stealing right? a living. Absolutely <laughs> stealing a living. But I like how football seems to be going back to big man, little man. Like, yeah. we've got Lukaku and Dybala, Man City with Haaland and Alvarez. All these things are yeah. cyclical, right? We're going back to big man, little man. I've got a lit, I've got a lot of time for it. I've got a lot of time for it. Um, but, listeners, viewers, we're going to take a very quick break. I think we're done with Serie A, right? I just want to actually yeah. very quickly say, Frozen on it are a surprise on a lot of people, including yeah. myself. Um, a great comeback win. 
um, against Oswaldo, who are always confusing. Uh, Oswaldo <laughs> went 2-0 up. Frosinone won 4-2 in the end. Our boy Kadira um, coming from Bardi, getting, winning the penalty, uh, scoring the penalty, and then getting an assist as well. Don't worry, listeners. I got him in Fanta Calcio. He is in my squad. Um, I'm not sure how often he'll stop, but we'll see. Um, we are going to take a very quick break, and we're going to come back with some Premier League action after this. Hi, I'm Phil Brown, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. What a break. I feel so refreshed. Adam, do you feel refreshed? I cannot wait to talk some more football with you, Rory. <laughs> it's been so long. Alfredo, are we ready? Yep, very ready. Good. To here, let's do it. We are in England, we're doing the Premier League, and there's nothing I enjoy more than talking about the mess that is Old Trafford. Um, Brighton <laughs> three, Manchester United <laughs> one. Oh, I'm gonna enjoy this. Um, that was an absolute dismantling. I'm gonna give Brighton their flowers before we talk about um Man United. Um, that was incredible. That was genuinely incredible. I think to turn up to Old Trafford and play the football play that kind of football and just like not just beautiful football but the brand that you have created and you have torn apart everyone and to not be troubled at any stage I think United had a good first 15 20 minutes maybe 10 minutes and then the second Brighton managed to settle and get the foot on the ball it was game over um Danny Welbeck scoring the first goal is always beautiful to see um celebrating against Manchester United of course um but I think the real piece to resistance was the second goal i'm going to start with you adam just how beautiful was that goal and how incredible were brighton goal was incredible and that's the kind of football that you'd expect man united to deliver on opposition in terms of brighton as a whole entity for this match i mean i think there was a and i just brought it up the tweet that summed it up from kieran Maguire: total cost of this brighton squad that took on man united 7.9 million with nine of those players being free transfers. Incredible. Absolutely incredible when you think about what they actually did as well because the Zerbi kind of rotated certain players as well. You had Jason Steele, for example, in goal. Um, you had a few experienced players like Lana being pulled in as well. So, you know, De Zerbi has got the philosophy there. He's got... Um, I suppose the great fitting of Brighton who continue this kind of transition, no matter who moves on or, you know, which manager moves on, they still kind of carry this on. And it's, you're kind of thinking, when will this burst for Brighton? It should happen soon, but they still seem to make it work. And it's also credit to the Zerbi because he's actually, I feel he's definitely got better and more out of this squad than previously with Potter, not to undermine Potter, but I genuinely feel like the Zerbi is, improved the levels with Brighton, got them a lot more attacking. I think it was summed up by Solly March saying he'd never really had many goals and then De Zerbi set him in the target of saying you had to contribute at least 10 goals mm -hmm. and he's exceeded that. So he's improved that level and I think the question mark for a lot of people is where's De Zerbi's next role? Where is it? I mean, people kind of this idea he's the Pep Guardiola replacement but, you know, there's genuinely like some thoughts in Italy. Could he take on a big job there as well? Like uh, I personally would love to see him in Italy again, taking like one of the big clubs and installing that kind of philosophy because that would be so attractive, bring a lot more romance to the game as well. Because I think there's this negative stigma around Serie A still um, and style of play. But 
yeah, I'm delighted for Brighton as well and Deserby. But yeah, we, we also have to talk about Man United and my thoughts are Eric Ten Hag being a fraud. But Corey, I feel like we're going to hold off on United a little bit more as much as I want to jump in on United. I do <laughs> want to talk about Brighton. Um, you're right. They made loads of changes. It was pretty much a Brighton B team. I think they switched six <laughs> players. Um, but Alfredo, Deserby... Um, he has made a massive improvement compared to Potter. I think that's kind of fairly plain to see. Um, he is the next great Italian coach, right? I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I used to love watching his Sassuolo side. They were mm-hmm. so, so exciting to watch. Um, and now I love watching Brighton, you know. <laughs> um, never thought I'd be saying that. Um, but <laughs> I think, I mean, and you know, as as bad as Man United might be at the moment, or as bad as you think they might be at the moment, regardless of that, not 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 a lot of teams, seldom amount of teams go to Man United and Old Trafford and do what Brighton did to Man United the other day. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's very rare. And to not only not only beat them in the way they did, but just to, to score three goals and just it wasn't even a beating. It was it was a. I don't even I don't know I don't know the word. It was just a complete they were just outclassed them from yeah. start to finish. And they were just so they were just so much better than them. And that doesn't and it happens to Man United away, but it doesn't happen at Old Trafford. No. I feel like no, you're right. And I feel like the aura of Old Trafford has kind of disappeared quite a lot. But I think what really impressed me, and you see it with the patterns, is just how consistently Brighton are able to find that third, like the third man constantly. Like there's always whenever someone receives the ball, there's instantly two options of where the pass is gonna go. Everyone knows where the pass is going to go and still nobody can do anything about it. I think they're honestly like Brighton could definitely finish top four this year. Like I think without a doubt they could finish top four. They could finish third or second, depending how well this season goes. Like I really think the ceiling for this team is so high. Um, The big issue for them potentially is going to be that they do have European football the first time ever. It is going to be more testing for the squad. They've got a, a group that is the best group out of all of the Champions League, Europa League yeah. and Conference League. It is the best group, um, but they definitely won't be able to rotate. They're going to have to play full teams against those like the likes of Ajax and AEK Athens and stuff. They're, tr- they're like tough trips. Um, but so it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. But I think, um, yeah, they, this really could be an, an even more unbelievable season for them um and yeah deserve i absolutely love him i really hope that he doesn't go to city honestly because i just think on city need to mess up one decision at some point and they need to replace pep with someone terrible get rudy garcia or something it'll be on the market (laughs) (laughs) and then everyone else can have a go you can't just go straight into the next best manager um but let's talk about manchester united why why is it that they are unable to run towards their own goal and defend. The second that they are running towards their own goal, everything falls apart. I think Lisandro Martinez is incredibly lucky that Harry Maguire is in that squad because Martinez should be getting a lot more stick than he gets. Because yeah. I think, honestly, the amount of times he catches himself out of position, he doesn't follow runners, he just allows someone to go past him or flies into a needless tackle and just gives away a foul, completely misses the ball, whatever. I think the guy's got zero football IQ. It's insane how he's getting away with being this bad. I think he makes Lindelof look worse, and Lindelof is pretty terrible. Um, Obviously, United, you have to say they've got a lot of injuries. Wan-Bissaka is now out for a couple of weeks as well, which is just brutal news. But they've lost Luke Shaw, um, Reggie on, 
is Reggion. I'm not quite sure why they bought him. But I think if we talk about Eric Ten Hag, this midfield of Fernandez, Eriksson, and um, who was the third one? McTominay, was it? Oh, um, McTominay, yeah. I don't yeah. think Ericsson and Fernandez is ever going to give you enough protection. Or Casemiro, sorry. Um, I don't think it's ever going to give you enough protection. Casemiro is old. And I think Ten Hag didn't react to the fact that Brighton just, like, that's not Christian Ericsson's job. I know, like, I know, like, awful stuff happened to him and he's come back and it's incredible that he's come back, but he's not the same player. And he's never been able to do the defensive work that much anyway. He's never really done it. Like, Adam, how much do you think, like, Ten Hogg should be able to see that, address that, and change it in-game, right? Massively, massively. And he seems to be persisting with this diamond formation that's making them so narrow to the point that, like you say, the likes of Delort and Region are get getting exposed constantly on that wings. Mm -hmm. And you had a really good example of a team like Brighton that can tear them apart by just doing some quick passing, and then they've got players that can run at the defence. And that's the problem when you've got players like Ericsson in that diamond. He's a player that you want to kind of bring on, not have for the mm -hmm. duration of a 90 minute game and expect him to do a combination of both sides of the game. It goes down to that point of what what is he trying to instill into this group of players? And I, I don't get the whole philosophy yet. I don't get what he's done in the space of him coming over you know, I think you give him last season as a write-off, but this season he has nothing to defend him now. He had time over the summer to do his own training, his own philosophies, and I still don't get what he's bringing to this squad. I don't, I don't feel like they've progressed. I think, that, if anything, they've regressed. Um, Attacking-wise, yeah, I think he's addressed part of the issue. Um, he started to learn that, you know, Rashford is a better player on the left-hand side, and you know, with. Hoyland, when he does come back to full fitness, I think he will come good. But again, you've got to give him time as well because he had a great second half in the Serie A, but he spent six months trying to get adapted to Gasparini's ways of working and getting mm -hmm. used to the league as well. So we shouldn't expect him to be scoring all the time as well. So there's a lot of you know question marks for me. Mason Mount is no way near worth the 60 million that they paid for him. And I think he's lost. He doesn't know what he's playing because I saw him one game, he's attacking midfielder. The next, he's being the defensive midfielder. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of the players actually know what they should be doing. And I, I, I'm sure there's a stat to say, I don't think these players have been in the same roles during the whole duration of mm -hmm. Eric Ten Hag's reign. So again, you know, I think he doesn't even trust them. And I think it also boils down to the question of, is that Man United job just too big for just one person to make all the calls right well, now? Because it does feel like yeah. that. Let's be fair. To, he's There's a lot of noise going on at that club and there's a lot of awful fires that he's having to try and deal yeah. with and put out. Like, that's a lot of stress going on. So I think you have to take a step back and also go like, yeah, mate, it's a pretty rough start for a job. But I also think you're right. There's no discernible style. There's no discernible yeah. vision. I think the Hoyland one is really interesting. I'll get your thoughts on this, Alfredo, because I think there's a lot of weight on that guy's shoulders all of a sudden because he has to be, he has to score because as Eric Tanhal got booed for bringing on anti-Martial, which I completely sympathize with, bringing on Martial is like throwing in the towel, but there's a lot of pressure on Hoyland's shoulders. Like, Do you think this, is, this move, I understand why he made it, but do you think it could be a bit too early for him and he could be another player that... Man United just kind of ruin? 
it might be a case of you know he gets a you know the classic loan back to Serie A next season. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think you know watching him at Atalanta last year, I think he's so ta- he's so talented. Like yeah. he, he has everything. He's all, he's he's in that Haaland ilk. But I almost think he's a bit more skillful than Haaland is. He's um, with his feet. I think he's very he's mm-hmm. very very good with his feet. And he's so but his talent is still so incredibly raw, and he's still yeah. so rough around the edges. And to you know, go to Man United and be the new number. I know he's number eleven, but the new number nine of Man United at twenty years old, with you know half a season of Serie A experience. Before that, he was at Sturm Graz. That that's a lot, and I know he's he's doing so well with his international team as well. He's scoring for fun, but that the number nine at Manchester United is that carries Huge. more weight yeah. than most teams in the world. And I think he's incredibly talented, but I do think it might be a bit early for him. Um, and his injury record isn't great either. No, it's really not. It's really not. And I feel like if there's one club after Chelsea that as a youngster you don't want to join for your development, it might be Manchester United. I can't think of a player that's improved at Manchester United in the last, well, since Fergie left, really. A player that's gone to Manchester United and left a better player. I just can't think yeah. of one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it may have been, I understand why he made the move. He's a Man United fan from a boy. And if they come to you, of course, you're going to accept. Um, but I feel like we might, it can go one or two ways. He's either just going to hit the ground running, do a Haaland, and it'd be a stroke of genius, or it'll chew him up, spit him out. And as you said, he'll be back in Serie A for a year next season. I hope, even though it's Man United, I hope he thrives and does really well because he's a player that I really love and really enjoy watching. And when he came on against Arsenal, he caused us all sorts of problems. I was like, oh, damn, this boy is like, he's Mm. he's not going to have trouble fitting in the Premier League if he, as we said, the fitness issues and stuff and Man United being a basket case don't affect him too much. Um, But I think we might leave it there for Manchester United. Was there any other talking points? I don't think so. Um, Yeah, I think that was it. Ten Hag got booed and Brighton won. Nice. Good day at the office. I'll take that. Um, Next up, we are going to talk about... Now, I've got a, a, a warm take, I suppose. Are Everton the new Sunderland? I think Everton have taken Sunderland's place in the spiral of depression spot that the Premier League always needs. Um, Several seasons just lost without a clue, constantly fighting relegation, a takeover that looks doomed, a manager that looks less interested Mm. and a bit lost. Um, No, again, no discernible style, no attack. Um, overrated, overpriced players. It looked an absolute mess at Everton. Now, Arsenal, I know, we're pretty good. Um, We should have won a lot more comfortably. But what amazed me with Everton was just their inability to even create attacks. Like, this is a ground that we have not won at since Arsene Wenger was in charge, right? Like, we never win at Goodison. And... They all they need to do is get in our face and we just fold and lose one nil and Tarkovsky scores a header. But they couldn't even do that. And it just felt like every Arsenal fan was crapping themselves before this game. And then the game kicked off and we were like, oh, we'll be fine. Yeah, this one will be all right. Like, okay, yeah, they are done. Um, Adam, do you think there's any ray of light for Everton fans at the moment? Because the fans barely showed any interest. I'm surprised they actually attend, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it's been like this for a number of years, right? And uh, we've joked about how 
I don't know how, what's the right word here, but they seem to keep themselves motivated despite turning up for 90 minutes of shit, right? They still sort impressive. Of see the bright side of <laughs> it, right? They even joke about it on internet forums. I think they're the best comedians yeah. out there right now because, yeah, there's not a lot to kind of be happy or like even look positively towards. I think, I, I, I believe anyway, that a reset would be good for the club. A bit like what we spoke about, Jen. Well, I think going down isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I know we've said, based on the um, aspect of finance, they can't afford to really get relegated. But genuinely, I, I don't think the players that they've got are good enough for the club. Bar few, you could argue. Uh, I feel sorry for Beto because, like, uh, yeah, he'll be another one that will come back to Serie A. I can guarantee yeah. that. And, <laughs> um yeah, I, I just think going down would actually be good for the club. They could reset themselves, get a progressive manager, someone with a bit of a better core of players that come back straight up, even if it takes them two seasons, come back stronger, give a bit of joy to the fans, and then they'll be back in a better place. Um, and it's, it's frightening when you think about... I, I did look into their finances. I think... They are quite high in terms of wages. I think it works out roughly. I think it's on average the player earns at their club 100 grand a week. So you're thinking in the type of players they've got, they're earning 100K a week. Bloody hell. Like that is some business that the agents are doing right now. And yeah, that's why Everton can't bring any players in because, yeah, financial fair play means they can't really just balance those books at the moment. So they're better off trying to sell Pickford for as much as they can. You know, they probably have an eye on Onana being one of those that could potentially yeah, get yeah. a lot more money. I think he's definitely looks class, but unfortunately he hasn't got the right manager to instill that kind of style of play. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen like little spurts of him when he does play or he's allowed to play. He looks incredible. I think he could definitely fit into a top five, top six club somewhere around Europe, not necessarily just the Premier League. So, yeah, a lot of rethinking needed at Everton. But you've, you've rightly said, taken over by the group that own Genoa and Sevilla. They've Stand got a dodgy the history. They like to yeah. put clubs into financial debt, you know, take money out of the clubs. I don't know what their kind of manifestation is, what the grand plan is, but... Yeah, you'd have to worry if you're linked with those clubs and that kind of group at the moment. So, yeah, tough times for Everton. It's all so depressing. It's all so depressing. I'm really sorry, Everton fans. But, Alfredo, it's... thoughts on Everton? Any sympathy? Um, any to the ray of light? I mean, I can only kind of contextualise this in as an Italian football fan. And what mm. I would say is that, obviously, one of Italy's brightest young talents at the moment, Wilfred Nyonto, still plying his trade in the championship yeah. and heavily, heavily linked to Everton. I so hope that he stays at Leeds and stays yeah. as far away from Sean Dyke in Everton as he possibly can. <laughs> I would rather he just, like, just fucks around in the championship for a year, does his thing there, and then do not go to Everton, please. Just whatever you do, just don't go there. That, that, that's my thoughts. That's my thoughts. Yeah, no, and I think that's absolutely fair. When when he was forcing his move away from Leeds, I saw Everton fans on Twitter going, "Lad, what are you doing? You know we're Everton, right? Like, why, why are you so desperate to come to Everton? Like, you enjoy punishment." Uh, yeah, I am also very glad he's at Leeds. Have fun in the Championship for a year, tear that up, and come 
a few foot taller in confidence, I think. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> about that. Sorry, Everton fans, but I think the sweet release of relegation might actually be a positive. <laughs> it can't be sustainable for many more seasons. Um, I also think Sean Dyche had a bit of a weird one because he, when he decided he was going to bring the game to Arsenal, I expected him to just go 4-4-2 and bring Calvert-Lewin on, but keep Beto on because Beto was holding up the mm-hmm. ball. He was kind of causing an issue. I was surprised that he took Beto off. And I, straight away, I was like, oh, okay, cool, right? So you're just not going to win the game. I feel like our centre-backs might have actually struggled with two huge physical um, forwards because Saliba mm. didn't have his best day at the office. Gabriel didn't have his best day either. I think there was a real opportunity there for him to just cause trouble, and he just didn't. So I feel like Daesh maybe is um, his... Maybe the job, and again, a club with a lot of noise, a lot of distractions. Maybe it's just he's thinking this isn't the right place for me. I also think the squad he's got isn't as good as the squad as he had at Burnley, and that's part of it as well. I honestly think his Burnley squad was better. Um, And I think if Onana is at Brighton, people are raving about him because he is that good a player. He's just in the wrong place. Um, Yeah, unlucky Everton fans, but Arsenal win. That's a relief. Um, I'll absolutely take that all day long. (laughs) 1-0. Beautiful. Um, we do need to talk about, I suppose, let's talk about Tottenham. Last minute win against Sheffield United. Um, I need like a private detective to look into Anja Postacoglu's life and find one negative about him. Because, like, <laughs> I cannot like a Spurs manager this much. I just can't. It's every time I see him on telly, I'm like, oh, he's such a legend. I wish he was my uncle or something. I can't feel this way about a Spurs manager. Um, Adam, an impressive win by Spurs. Never say die attitude. Um, 15 minutes of added time, was it? 10 minutes of added time. Mm-hmm. Hecking bottom annoyed, but Spurs looking very, very good. Yeah, definitely impressive. Um, yeah, it did take a bit of a substitution slash change in the formation, um, but they managed to pull out a result which you wouldn't have associated with Spurs of previous years. Um, So I think the fact that although Ange has got them playing in a positive manner, playing in a different style that is a bit more kind of with the swaying of the fans, um, what I would say is you can see that they are definitely determined and they're trying to battle for their places in the squad. And, you know, I I think the beautiful thing actually how Ange addressed the Richarlison aspect as well during the press conferences prior to the game. And the fact that you saw how the like the um, players got behind Richarlison at the full whistle, you know, giving him his rapport and, you know, letting him embrace the moment as well. It kind of tells you a lot about that team spirit. And I think that's been a little hacking at Spurs for a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even with the backdrop of Kane moving on as well, right? Um, you know, they were kind of seen as this one-man team and they can't win success. Well, actually, I think they can win something, um, but it's just going to take some time. I think they've got to trust the process. Look, it might not be this season, but certainly you got a better feeling for them. I know that hurts, Rory, being an Arsenal yeah, fan, annoyed. but it <laughs> does feel like good, it's just around the good. corner. just yeah. feels like it's around the corner. Um, but you have to say props to Sheffield United. They did try and play their tactics. Um, time management tactics it has to be said um, but yeah um, that's the problem I feel that they just lack a few quality players that might have got a point or a win potentially on this day but yeah gutting for them but otherwise fantastic result for Spurs um, what about you Rory what's your thoughts on that game um, I really like Gustavo Hamer 
I really like him <laughs> as a player. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, he scored a few goals already this season. I'm like, hmm, okay, I'm going to keep a note on him. I've been very impressed. I know he was really good for Coventry last year in the championship mm. as well, right? Yeah. Uh, he had a very good season. Very impressed by him. Yes. Look, with Spurs, <laughs> I'm going to try and be as objective as possible. They always start every season really well, right? Let's not forget that Espirito Santos got Premier League Manager of the Season, uh, Premier League Manager of the Month in August yeah, as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Conte had their best start since 1970, whatever. Like, there's been a few false dawns at Spurs, it's fair to say. But also, it does feel different under Ange. Um, it does feel a lot more like... It feels a lot more entertaining. It feels a lot more positive. It feels a lot more expansive. It feels like this the the type of football that Spurs fans want to see, right? And they've instantly taken him in. The players clearly absolutely love him already. That definitely wasn't the case with Espirito Santos and with uh, Conte. So it does feel very, very different. I think, weirdly, them not having Kane makes them a better team because other players are allowed to shine a little bit more and they're not just looking to pump it to him every time. Um, I'm more worried playing them now than I have been in the last couple of years, which is worrying because I don't know if my heart rate can take it. Um, but I feel like they could really absolutely bring the game to us at the Emirates at the weekend. Um, so I think a signing like Madison has been outstanding. Um, Van der Ven has been very good since he's come Mm. in. But it's what we know about Ange. He's very good at recruitment. Like, look at what he did at Celtic. He brought in these players across that everyone was laughing at from the J-League or from Australia or wherever. And he just knows how to spot talent. He knows how to coach. He knows how to get that team spirit. And I think, um, yeah, it's worrying, worrying times for... um, if you if you hate Tottenham, at least at least we're half decent. If we were crap, it would be even worse. But at least we're half decent. Um, Alfredo, do you like? We love Ange on this show. He's an absolute legend. Have you been impressed by him so far? Yeah, he seems like like you said, he seems like just a great guy to go for a drink with, doesn't he? Exactly. <laughs> he seems like really just cool exactly. and interesting. <laughs> like you can chat to him for hours about anything. Like yeah, he'd yeah. probably give you quite good advice as well. He seems like the, the type to give you quite stern, but. Very good advice. Things you didn't want to hear, but you needed to hear. I think that's exactly. what he'd do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, we, we've got to find something negative about him at some point. I <laughs> will find something negative. Um, but before we go, guys, I'm just looking at the time. We are running out of time. I just also very quickly wanted to say, if you haven't already, check out John Duran's goal for Aston Villa. It's an absolute beauty. Um, Zidane-esque thigh level hit absolutely incredible goal um that's my goal of the weekend i think um and odson edward only harland has scored more goals than him so far in the premier league this season i never thought i would say that and he scored more goals already this season than he scored in the entirety of last season um and of course why adam because I said he was terrible in the first episode exactly. and that Palace were going to get relegated. It. That's how um, this pod so works. That is exactly <laughs> why that has happened. Uh, God damn it. None of my predictions are going to come true. But guys, I think we've run out of time. I think that's everything. Um, Alfredo, thanks for coming on to the show. It's always great to have you on. Yeah. For our viewers and listeners, if they want to find you, where can they find you? Uh, on TikTok. Uh, YouTube occasionally. If I you know, take a little trip over to Italy. But generally TikTok, just kind of analysis of Italian football, matches, Serie A games, all that kind of stuff. Beautiful. And it's at Azuri TV, right? It is. At Azuri TV. Beautiful. Well, guys, we will be back with a show on Friday morning uh, talking about 
Champions League. Oh my God, it's back. Arsenal. I get mm-hmm. to see Bukayo Saka with the Champions League anthem. I think I might cry. Um, <laughs> we'll be talking Champions League action and looking forward to a great weekend in Italy and the Premier League. Um, as always, if you've enjoyed it, hit like and subscribe down here. Um, give us a rating on your chosen podcast app. And as always, tell a friend. You can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, and on TikTok. We're trying, or Adam's trying. Um, I'm, I'm not involved at um, Anglo Italian Pod. Uh, Adam, anything to say before we go? No, bellissimo, as we would say in Italy, right? Bellissimo. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. We will see you next time. Ciao. Beautiful. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network.